0: This morning, though, I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 53, as in perhaps, as no other passage, we see what Beth was just singing, that love came, in Messiah, love came. So turn there, if you would, Isaiah chapter 53. Many years ago, uh, Susan and I had a special way of celebrate our 15th anniversary. We were able uh, to make uh, a trip to Israel. We had longed to do that, and by saving up uh, pennies and dimes, everything, we were finally able uh, to get the resources to be able to make the trip. And There was a uh, group of people going from Knoxville on this uh, trip to Israel, uh, and I had heard about it, so I uh, just got us enrolled by faith, and then enrolled by faith, and then rolling the coins together for several months to save up funds, we were able to go. But we went with a group of 28. There were 28 of us and we knew no one on that that trip. Uh, Everyone, strangers to us, we made great friendships as we made that trip to Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, over the next two or three years, 14 of those folks became members of West Park Baptist Church. And I was thinking that this week, I I should be reimbursed for that trip, really. I was thinking (laughs) about that, but... After my letter, I thought maybe I shouldn't, okay. So... uh, But uh, it was a great, great uh, time to make new friends, many who have become friends now for that is uh, 25 years ago now. But I never will forget something that happened on that uh, trip. Just as we were departing from uh, JFK in New York City, we were traveling on El Al Airlines, which was the national airlines of Israel. We had just gotten airborne, Uh, seatbelt light was off, when uh, a group of men uh, stood up and started passing things out, literature, on the plane. And it was very obvious from their dress, the way uh, they wore their hair and their beards, that they were uh, Orthodox Jewish men. And so they began to go up and down the aisles, passing out this literature. It looked like the stewards were very used to this, so that was fine. And uh, they came down, and I reached out and took some of the literature. As I began to read it, uh, it was uh, readings from the Torah, the law of Moses, in particular uh, with applications about some of the uh, Jewish practices of the Orthodox believers and how it was important to follow these traditions that had been uh, passed down and so I read that literature and uh, the men went up and down the plane they were passing this out but as the leader of the group passed by the row next to me one of the men on our group spoke to him and said oh I see you have a lot of uh, literature here with, uh, with references from scripture and the man stopped said yes it's from the Torah and they're talking about our practices that go back to the time of Moses and the man said well thank you he said I have a question for you maybe you could enlighten a passage for me what is your understanding of Isaiah 53 and when he asked that question it was like a bolt of lightning had hit that man he stiffened He turned red in the face and then loudly pointing his finger, he said, That passage is not about Messiah. That passage is not about Messiah. And he stormed off and went back to the rest of the group and shared what someone had had the audacity to say to him and asking the question about Isaiah 53. That was a stunning Moment. I never will forget it. But why that response? Why that kind of response? Because Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Christ, all of those years before the coming of Jesus, the Jewish people united. In believing that this was a passage about Messiah. Those words in Isaiah 53 are so clear and so precise though. That they could only be fulfilled by one person. And one person only. Not just Messiah in general. But those words could only be fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. The only one whose life fulfills what is written here 700 years before. And what is the passage about? It's about a promise. A promise of Messiah, yes. But a promise of what he came to do. To bring salvation. To bring salvation. And so this morning, I want us for a few minutes to look at this great passage, this promise about the promise of Messiah salvation. Now it was read for us by the team in a wonderful way, but let's look at some of these first verses. You'll notice that this prophecy spans all of Messiah's life. Isaiah 53 covers the entirety of the life of Messiah. Now, notice the qualities that Messiah's life would have are so unexpected. And Isaiah knows this. He has had revealed to him what Messiah's life will be like. That even before he begins this poetic prophecy, because this is poetry. He, he asks this question in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What he means by that is what I'm about to share with you. What is, has been communicated to me that I'm going to share with you. Who will believe this? Who could imagine What the arm of the Lord has revealed. And you remember that verse. Verse 1 is picked up by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 10 verse 16. he He references this verse. When he's talking about the glory of the gospel. And sharing the gospel. And he says who has believed our report. Now why this question? Why would Isaiah Ask such a question. Who could believe such a report? Well, the answer is, I think, probably best summed up in the title of a Christmas song from a few years ago. Maybe some of you remember it. The song says, what a strange way to save the world. Who could believe this? Astounding that this is the way that the Lord will save the world. You see, Messiah, the long-awaited one, he would come, but he would come in such an unanticipated manner. What kind of life would Messiah have? Let's look at this life. He would have a life of humility. Verse number 2 says, For he, this is Messiah, grew up before him, that is, the Lord God like a young plant like a root out of the dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him no beauty that we should desire him is a life of humility the messiah came up out of the ground dry ground dry in every way it was barren when the messiah came to israel barren in religion barren in culture And yet he came up as a young plant. That word young plant means a tender shoot. It's it's like a a shoot of life that comes out of a stump, a root. That's the reason the Bible tells us that Messiah will be out of the root of David. David. The house of David will be cut off. It'll seem like the Jewish people have been cut off. They're under domination by their enemies. But when it looks like the promises that God has made to David about his kingdom are useless, then out of that barren, dry dirt and that empty religion and lifelessness will come new life. A branch will come. A branch of new life. Messiah but he will come with no ostentation verse says verse 2 says he has no form or majesty that we would look at him no beauty that we should desire him he that means he's not what we expected it doesn't mean that Jesus was an ugly man it's not talking about the physical appearance of Messiah what it means is this is how he appeared to others he, he was so normal, so so like us, that no one could imagine that he's the one. He wasn't what people expected. And what happens when someone's what, not what people expected? Well, because he wasn't what was expected, he was rejected. And his life and ministry, a life of humility, became a life of humiliation. Because as he started his ministry as Messiah, here's what happened. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus' entire ministry generally was one of rejection. John chapter one tells us in the Gospel of John, he came into his own and his own received him not. Rejection and humiliation followed him, especially from the religious leaders, especially from the scribes and the experts of the law who should have recognized by his, Life and by his miraculous deeds, who he was, but they were offended of him. He was a threat to them. And so he was rejected by the religious leaders, and that rejection increased and increased and increased until it came to a crossroads when Jesus of Nazareth rode into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a foal of a donkey, just like the kings of Israel did, just as God said the king would come. They threw down the palm branches in front of them, the clothes in front of them. The children shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the one who is the king, the Messiah. Jesus entered Jerusalem that way and how was he received? He was arrested, given an unjust mockery of a trial and turned over to the people who were ruling over the Jewish folks, the Romans. Verse 7 tells what happened. He was oppressed. Look at it. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment. He was taken away. He was delivered over to his enemies. Without justice, he was betrayed and beaten. But in the midst of that, he was the silent sufferer. He opened not his mouth. He was abandoned and abused. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet, in that mockery of a trial and in all of the abuse... God raised up someone remarkably who would proclaim and present the Messiah to the Jewish people. And who did God raise up to proclaim and present the Messiah? He raised up the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate brought Jesus out before the mob and he said, Behold the man. And the crowd erupted, away with him, away with him. And Pontius Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? I find no fault in him. That was the legal verdict on Messiah no fault in him. And the crowd shouted out, Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And Pilate then asked the question of the ages. Shall I crucify your king? And the people represented by their leaders responded, We have no king but Caesar. That was the nation's verdict. Their king, the Messiah... The long-awaited one was led as a lamb to be slaughtered. And so Isaiah's poetic prophecy continues because this is poetry. It is prophecy. If you want to call it prophecy. Isn't it interesting? Everything that we've read so far is past tense. It's prophecy, but it's written in past tense. Why is that? Because to God, what is prophecy but just pre-written history? God knows what he's going to do. And he sees the future as sure as he sees the past. And this is his plan. This is his will. This life of Messiah. But now it comes to this moment. The death of Messiah. The death of Messiah. It's recorded here. Think about those two words going together. The death of Messiah. Not the coronation of Messiah. The death of Messiah. This is a prophecy of Messiah. It cannot be denied regardless of who wants to deny it. Even on trips to Israel. It cannot be denied. Look at chapter 52, verse 13. It begins here. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. This is my servant. That's a title for the Messiah. The servant of Jehovah. Look at chapter 53, verse 11. As the story of Messiah ends, God says that he is the righteous one my servant, this is Messiah. This is his life. Book in together, and in it is Messiah's death. The Messiah lived a life like no other, but friends, now listen Messiah died a death like no other because his death in reality, was not his own. It was not because of something he had done. You see, the Messiah went to his death the same way he had lived his entire life. His entire life he had lived for others, and here he goes to his death for others. Now, I want you to notice, who is it for whom Messiah dies? If he doesn't die for himself, who does he die for? Well, notice, he dies as a substitute for sinners. He dies for sinners. Listen to Isaiah speak for all sinners. Isaiah speaking for himself. And friends, put your voice here. He's speaking for us as well. Verse 4, make it your own. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows... Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. Notice that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus' death, listen, know the word. Jesus' death was a vicarious death. Vicarious means on behalf of others. The death of Jesus was not a death as a martyr. He did not die as an example. He did not die as a great moral leader. Messiah died vicariously. He died on behalf of sinners, you and me. Look at this. Verses 4 and 5. Friends, make it your own. Why did he die? Our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities, our chastisement. To give us what? So that he could give us what alone he could give us. Peace. Peace with God. What did the angels proclaim the night of Messiah's birth? He said, peace. They said, peace on earth. Goodwill to men. For unto you this day in the city of David there has been born to you a what? Savior, who is Messiah, Christ. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. Christ the Lord. And he brings peace on earth. But what kind of peace did he bring? And how would he bring it? The only way he could bring peace was to bring peace between sinful men and a holy God. And that he did by making peace through the blood of his cross. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians. He made peace. Yes, he came as the Prince of Peace to make peace through the blood of his cross. Friends, the cradle of the Messiah was Jesus' birth. But his destination was the cross. The cross of Calvary. Here in one verse, look at this. You want to celebrate the glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You want to celebrate this. Well, you can celebrate it in one verse. One verse, the gospel in one verse. And notice this: it's written seven hundred years before the birth of the Messiah. Seven hundred years before Jesus came, the gospel is put in the clearest statement it is ever made. Verse six. All we. Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, my friend, is the gospel. That is the gospel. You want to share someone the gospel, you don't have to take them to the Romans Road, you don't have to take them to some New Testament passage wonderful to do that but you can open the book of Isaiah and say here's the gospel in one verse this is it this is all the gospel it's the only gospel Messiah Jesus died as a substitute for sinners but now friends notice this Jesus also the Messiah died for someone else You see, if you think Jesus only died for sinners, you've only begun to even understand the depths of what Jesus did. Because Jesus, yes, the Messiah died as a substitute for sinners, but Jesus also died as a sacrifice for God. A sacrifice for God. A sacrifice offered to God. Jesus did not just die. For sinners, he also died for God. Messiah was murdered by his enemies. They took him by wicked hands. And they denied the Lord of glory. Their wicked hands carried out the evil of the ages, deicide, the murder of Of your own God. But almighty God in his sovereignty. Even over the most despicable act ever committed. God in order to show his grace. Would take the worst deed ever done by human beings. And he would make it the means of his life giving salvation. That's the God we serve. His grace is overwhelming of all sin and His sovereignty so great that He causes the wrath of men to do what? Praise Him. Jesus offered Himself up to God. Friends, read with me. Follow along. Verses 10 and 11 and stand in awe. You can't understand this. I can't understand it. But read it and stand in awe of our Savior. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, God, the Lord, has put him, the Messiah, to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. When Jesus makes himself an offering for guilt. Friends, listen, that is the Holy of Holies. That is the place where no one else could go. His friends and loved ones could accompany him up to the hill of Calvary. But what he and his father would do behind that dark curtain that settled on top of the world, in that utter darkness, in the Holy of Holies, the loving Father... The loving Father who is also the offended holy God. The loving Father who is the offended holy God by our rebellion. His perfect Son in whom He was well pleased. Offered Himself up on the altar. And received the full wrath the full justice of a holy God against sinners was poured out on Jesus the Son. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But there on that cross on Calvary's hill, that great transaction of salvation was carried out. Cry of anguish. It says, The anguish of his soul, verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, no one can understand the anguish of the soul of Jesus. We can just hear it as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time Jesus referred to the Lord as God. Every other time he refers to him as Father. But on the cross as the sin bearer and God's wrath coming upon him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus had become the sin bearer. He was offering himself up to God so that God's justice could be satisfied. God would not have to forget about sin. God can't forget about sin. God can't overlook sin or He won't be holy. But in that moment, His holiness was poured out on His Son. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, God, forsaken by God, who can understand this? But Friends, thank God we don't have to understand it. But we can believe it. Amen. We can run to it. We can trust it. There's never been a cry of anguish like Jesus. And there's never been a shout of triumph like Jesus. Because he gathered his strength in one last moment to say what? It is finished. It's accomplished. That's the word of peace. For unto you is born this day in the the city of David a Savior. It's Messiah the Lord. He is the Prince of Peace. He will suffer for you and he will be a sacrifice to God. He will make peace. That is the peace. It is finished. Friend, that's how you can have peace with God. You can't finish the work. You can't finish your sins. You can't do anything to save yourself. It's already been done. It's a finished work. Stop tinkering with your soul. Stop making resolutions and trying to do better and flee to the cross where your sins have been atoned in the death of Messiah, the Son of God. And there's peace there. Peace. There's a word here I can't even understand when it talks about the cross. I can't understand this word, but it's here. It's the word satisfied. Look at verse 10. It means there's a sufficient reconciliation. Because it's finished, it's enough. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be, what's the next word, satisfied. How can someone dying this way be satisfied? How can Jesus possibly, out of the anguish of his soul, be satisfied? Because he could see something. Verse 10 says he will see. Verse 11 says he will see. What was it that Jesus could see? Verse 10, he could see his offspring. The word anguish here, listen carefully, the word anguish here, the anguish of his soul is a word which is used for childbirth. Out of the anguish of his soul, a new birth would come. A new life, a new family would be born. The family of Adam that has been cursed By his sacrifice, those who are saved become the family of the second Adam. Jesus, the obedient son, who has satisfied the wrath and justice of God. And out of his passion, a new family is born. That's what Jesus could see. And that's what the Bible means when it says in Hebrews 12... Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because there was a joy beyond the agony of a human race, of redeemed sinners, made again the family of God, reunited and made one. His offspring regathered. This is what Jesus and the Father could see. The tree of death became the tree of life. What a life, right? What a death. But this is so wonderful. The story of Messiah is not over, right? (laughs) Not by a long shot. It's not over. And just notice this as we close very quickly. The story ends... This life of Messiah. His birth. His life. His death. But now his exaltation. His exaltation. He went down to the depths of hell. But he comes out to the heights of heaven. Exalted. He would be exalted in his personal resurrection. Do you see the resurrection here? Did you catch it? The resurrection here. Verse number nine, he died. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Stop there. Who did Jesus die with? He died with the worst, the criminals. And who was he buried? Where was he buried? In the tomb of the most noble and the richest. You see, from the lowest to the highest of humanity, Jesus had them in his death. They made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. And although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when he makes his soul an offering for guilt. Here it is. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. There's the resurrection. Messiah is cut off. Messiah dies but on the third day he rose again and his days now are everlasting everlasting his days have been extended and we shall praise him what did we sing this morning for endless days why can we look forward to endless days because the days of messiah will never end as long as he lives we will live Who are his family. We will never die. Until the Messiah dies. And friends. He lives to die no more. He lives forever. And he says because I live. You will live also. Personal resurrection. And it's also in his resurrection. There's going to be global evangelization. Look at verse 15. Of chapter 52. Verse 15 He shall sprinkle many nations. This is is startling. And it can mean startling. But the word here is a covenant word. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. He that that was not been told, they see. And that which they've not heard, they understand. Nations will be brought to Jesus. His blood sprinkles all mankind. He is the Messiah of the Jews, but He's the Savior of the world. Amen? Nations are brought to Him. That's happening this very day. And He's going to be exalted eternally. Verse number 12 of chapter 15. Here it is. Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why that? Those are the words of conquerors. Those who divide the spoil. Those who are, have the portion. But there's no one who has all of the spoils of victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has conquered. He has defeated the foe. He has saved his people. And God has given him his inheritance. Eternal glory to the Son of God. Why? Because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. And he makes intercessions for transgressors. What is the eternal glory of Jesus? The eternal glory of Jesus are the wounds of Calvary in his body. He's the lamb who was slain. And to him there is glory, dominion, and power, and authority forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. God's people said, Amen. Amen.